Hi, everyone. Welcome to this version of the Metaphysical Mystery Podcast. Today, we're going to do something that many of you have asked for, is to get to know Terry and I as the host. And today, it's Terry's turn to be interviewed by myself. We're going to have uh, an interesting time here for sure, knowing his history, some of his stories, some of his experiences. Man, there's some heel, heel curlers in there for sure. Um, as you can tell, he did that for a while, but that didn't last very long. Um, but you're going to really enjoy, I think, this this time that we have today. So welcome, Terry. Hey, Tommy. We're looking forward to getting this out there to everybody. So if you would tell everyone a little bit about your background, man, how who you are and where you okay. came from, what's it all about? Sure. Well, I'm from uh, beautiful southern Illinois, a lot different than Chicago, and a little closer to St. Louis than I am to Chicago, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, my background uh, basically, you know, grew up very typical uh, wasp family, I guess is what I would call it, and uh, a couple of brothers and things. And anyway, I went into law enforcement, um, got a degree in law enforcement and another degree in telecommunications management, uh, and worked for the city um, for a while as a police officer, and then I moved to the state, uh, became an investigator, and uh did 28.4 years there, plus city time, so that's 30-something years, and still doing a little part-time work, actually, um, but uh, became an EMT even before I became a cop, and uh, so had that medical background, and uh, actually at the same time that I became an EMT, I also started in the uh, dive rescue field, and uh, started doing that throughout the, uh, the county, and then uh, eventually became the chief diver for the uh, state underwater investigation unit. Great. That sounds like quite a range of experiences you've had um, as you go through them and you look back at some of those things. Anything stand out for you around, let's say, the law enforcement or the EMS career to begin with? Well, you know, both of them, I think, uh, help mold, you know, my psyche and where I'm at with this stuff. Obviously, in the uh, as a state investigator, you're constantly interviewing and interrogating people uh, on a regular basis, and so you get a very refined technique in in getting to your actual information you're looking for. Uh, you know, I even got to the point where sometimes I would show up at certain places and people would just confess. They would start crying and just confess. <laughs> people would come to watch that, and they're like, "What the heck is that?" And I, well, it's just the way it is. I don't know. Training and experience. I wrote a lot of things off as training and experience when in retrospect, looking back on it, what I know now compared to what I knew then was, you know, there was some uh, metaphysical influences um, that I was fortunate enough to have acquired uh, as a kid and, and just used them. I just thought it was normal. When did you realize in looking back, you know, one of the early experiences, if you will, where you utilize those metaphysical tools? You know, I think I think both in the medical field as well as in the in the uh, police field, I always say to people, you know, all those folks that are in police, medical, fire, they're actually very intuitive people. And, and police, you know, uh, for sure, because you're not using what we call, and I'm a defensive tactics instructor as well, and you know, I've got lots of instructorial things. I think I'm an instructor in 48 different programs, uh, not unlike yourself. And uh, but I would tell people, you know, as a police officer, if you're not using your sixth sense, is what we called it in police work, you're dead. 
I mean, you're just, you're going to have a real hard time. Uh, you know, you get a sense before you're searching a house, you know, there may be somebody around the corner and you act accordingly on that and you save yourself from, you know, getting hurt. Uh, and even when you're walking up to a car on a simple traffic stop, you know, you start to get these little signs and so forth. And we really try to hone that in on uh, police officers when they're youngsters or cadets, you know, brand new rookies uh, to really listen to themselves based on their training and experience, but which helps hone that. And I, I started using that right away. And uh, I think that's a big part of how I'm able to do what I'm doing in a pretty effective way. Yeah, most of the public safety people write that off as either a gut reaction or, as I would term it, the here on your neck stands up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, you know, I say they probably should, but in, in a way, uh, you know, I've been asked here recently to maybe go to uh, a university and, and teach a, a couple hour segment on the more esoteric things that a police officer might come across or metaphysical things uh, and how they should react and what the do's and the don'ts are. So I think that's a real positive sign that uh, people are taking note that there are things you're going to run into uh, in law enforcement. Uh, I remember a neighboring county where uh, a couple of deputies ran into a house, but well, they didn't run into it. They were called to the house. And then uh, some of the things they saw in there, uh, just they said, this is not in our realm. They turned around and left. You know, when you start seeing a, a little kid get pulled across uh, a couch, and there's nobody there to pull them. That's when you go, mm, this wasn't in the academy. I really don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. It's amazing that's even contemplated that they're going to have you teach because you go back 30 years. It had that happened 30 years ago, what would have been the reaction then? Oh, it's, you know, it would have been no, not even a starter. I mean, you wouldn't even have gone that way. It would have been a waste of time. But now, uh, you know, people are figuring it out. I think a lot of things like, uh, you know, TV type stuff, that's out there, these investigative shows and uh, Long Island Medium and Tyler, the Hollywood Medium, uh, the, you know, those kinds of shows, um, that really tells people that, you know, something's out there and it starts to broaden people's horizons. So every little bit of that helps to just broaden that out and say, well, if that's going on, how can I use it in my work? And meaning not just police work, but any person's watching, maybe a doctor's watching and says, maybe I should at least think about that as a possibility, you know, uh, uh, that's possible. A minister, you know, that's possible too. And uh, obviously for me, when I got uh, basically retired out of police, well, actually towards the end of my career, people were asking me because I was crime scene tech and investigator and all this sort of thing. A lot of credentials, you know, they started telling me, hey, I, I think I got a ghost in my house. Can you check this out? So why the hell would you call me for something like that? Well, cop, you know, they go, well, you know, you're the only one we know that wouldn't know anything about it. And I said, all right, what the hell? I'm used to not having a suspect to look at anyway. So what's a ghost? No big deal. Wasn't scared. Just thought, okay, I'll go check it out. And sure enough, you know, the very first one, yeah, there was a real bump in the night there and we were able to um, remove it. And, uh, and I had a, uh, another person who was more involved in that metaphysical side of things at that time. And uh, they kind of came in and kind of, you know, ran right chair with me on that one so we could get through it properly, but Hey, it worked. So they were happy. And then of course you get one happy, they tell somebody else and they tell somebody else. It's amazing. I can just pitch you trading in your cruiser for the ghost station wagon showing up at work. 
Yeah, that'd be good. And as I was assigned a station wagon one time, that was that <laughs> way. <laughs> I preferred the Corvette. But uh, <laughs> well, uh, take that concept and share that amongst your peers so that they're accepting. Because I know traditional public safety and military and such, folks are just going to look and say, man, you're losing your mind. You're way too far out there for me. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would say to the guys that are working the street, you know, you know, take a step back, take, take a deep breath. Let's see what all the possibilities are. Because as a good investigator, you don't want to be led down any particular path. You want to let the evidence take you down that path. And that's where you really need to be open to everything that's possible. Uh, I know that we're going to have a guest upcoming who uh, works for the uh, National like uh, Missing and Exploited Child Network. And uh, she uses uh, psychics in assisting law enforcement. Now, you know, a few years ago, we just shook our heads and said, that's a bunch of hooey. And uh, I was certainly one of them because I would get that when I was a dive team commander. Uh, you know, people go, oh, they drowned and they're right here. Well, you know, amazingly enough, we did find some right there. And I say it's another tool in the in the toolbox, and you shouldn't dismiss it just because you don't know how to use it. Um, let those who know how to use it, use it. Um, if and Let them work it the way they need to work it, as long as it's not getting in the way of evidence collection and things of that nature. What the hell? I mean, it, you can't get it into court anyway. So it's just going to be one of those things that uh, will help you maybe move forward on the case. And uh, I know of one fairly recently that they uh, found a body been missing for 10 years and it was done psychically. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's been turned over to a different law enforcement agency than originally had it. And so things are going to go forward. I don't think there's uh, any charges yet, but uh, you know how that works with a homicide. It's going to take a while. Right. It's funny. I've had mixed reactions and mixed, um, results, if you will, with the psychics, uh, you know, same as you on the dive call, where a person said, you have to come here to find the child. And I was like, nah, I don't think so. And the person wasn't there. Right. Yeah, there are some really good success stories. So given that, how would you suggest someone vets out these people to say who's credible and who's not? Because I think that's one of the biggest concerns. Yeah, it, it really is one of the biggest concerns. I guess you have to understand how the psychic world works or the mediumship world because keep it in mind psychics are doing a um, energetic reading so they're getting pictures or sounds that are being given to them even tastes or smells and so forth and they're going to relay what they get to you um, it doesn't mean that they're going to give you a physical address on a certain street in a certain town and then down in the basement three feet deep is where you're going to find it although that has happened um, and then a medium is different than a psychic. A medium is actually someone whose vibration, personal biofield vibration can be raised high enough uh, that a, a deceased person on the other side of the veil, as we would say, can lower theirs enough to meet in the middle and be that medium. And then, then you're literally talking to potentially the actual victim or a family member of the victim, that kind of thing. And I think that's where um, you can get some good stuff. But if people have been used by other agencies before and been successful, that's a telltale sign. Um, and sometimes it just stuff will just randomly come to certain people. Uh, energies, uh, messages will come to them and they may be asleep at night. And I always say it's right in that field of 
like Peter Pan, never, never land. You're not quite asleep. You're not quite awake. You're in that never, never land and both waking and sleeping. And those are the two times that you're most susceptible to hearing or getting visual uh, stimuli from some other source. Um, you know, people will say God, angels, demons, whatever it may be. Uh, but that's when we typically have that. And then they also talk about the, the witching hour, if you will, witching hour being from uh, 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. Typically, uh, when you talk about it, that's just when everything is super, super quiet uh, for the most part around the world, or at least in where you're at in your time zone. And um, the energetics are not bouncing all over the place. Uh, and that's when people can hear things and see things that uh, the other would have a difficult time with. So I'm sure right now there might be some of our listeners going, what in the heck is he talking about? He talks to dead people through the veil and such. So how do we explain this to the skeptics? That may, maybe they don't believe in anything further than this life. And that's just, it's a period. When you pass, you're done. How do, how do we explain this to those folks? Yeah, I mean, they're entitled to, to believe that. That's perfectly fine. Um, but when a, a medium or something all of a sudden stops them and gives them two or three bits of information about their deceased father. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no way they could possibly know that. They've never seen them before in their lives. Well, then you have to look at it and go, well, how the heck did they possibly get that? You know, some random exchange in a restaurant uh, where a medium says, Hey, your dad just said, da, 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 da. And you're going, how the hell do you know that? You know, there's no freaking way you could know that. Well, if you see it once, you can blow it off as just coincidence or somebody checked you out or, I don't know why they go to all that trouble. Um, but uh, I often tell them that people who have the ability to see beyond the veil or hear beyond the veil or have some of your, one of your five senses uh, beyond the veil is much like a, um, how should I say, a, a telephone booth out in a desert. If you thought of it, and some people are too young to know what a telephone booth is, but <laughs> the O's of the proper age, they know what a telephone booth is. And, um, so for the younger ones, a cell phone fell on the dirt in the desert. Um, you're, you're that telephone booth. The medium is the telephone booth or the cell phone laying there. So if you find one out there, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to get out. You're going to try to make contact with a friend or a family member. Uh, you're going to pick up that phone and you're going to make that call. The medium is the telephone booth. And so if you randomly run into that person, somebody's going to attempt to make a communication with you. We all like to talk on this side of the veil. So you can imagine how frustrating it is to be on the other side uh, and not be able to get word through to your family that you're okay, or, you know, that they need to find the will in the closet on the upper shelf, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, so that's kind of how it works. And I get called into that because, you know, one of my things is, you know, I'm a minister and I, I take a spiritual sense of this, you know, my doctorate's a, you know, in metaphysical sciences, mystical research in particular, but um, you really have to go in and research yourself. You have to look at the sources. For example, um, the University of Virginia, uh, they have a whole section just on the study of reincarnation. Dr. Ian Stevenson spent a lifetime putting that material together. He's deceased now. Uh, but that material is all still there at the University of Virginia. And some amazing stories that are very, very detailed and chronicled uh, to the nth degree to the scientific level uh, to show that that's a possibility uh, that you could have that. And I think a lot of it, uh, if you don't understand that, you can have a hard time with the rest of it. Because you've got to understand that we make these 
secular trips into the earth plane is what they call it, the metaphysical field. So, uh, but it's just a lifetime that you choose to come into and you're inhabiting a bag of bones and uh, your soul lives forever. And we all know that. I mean, that's in religions and so forth, but only in America does anybody raise an eyebrow when you talk about reincarnation. I mean, you get over to the East and India and Tibet and all that. That's just, duh, that's just common. <laughs> so, yep. anyway. And the best way I've heard it described is we are energetic beings having a human experience. Best way you can. That's a pretty common, yeah, that's pretty much what they say, yeah. We're just, we're jumping in and, and going to have an experience to grow your soul. You know, people ask me a lot of times what the purpose of life is. And my answer has always been to learn to be a companion to God, the creator. So you've talked about reincarnation. I know you've looked at some of your history. Um, anything you want to share from that through some of the knowledge you've gained from in that area? And as you get into this field, I think that uh, people want to do a little self-research. If this is all true, then what about me? You know, where do I come from? How do I fit in? Where does that all happen? Um, that that did happen for me. Um, and uh, I, I went through a very long process of somebody telling me one thing uh, and another person telling me and then a investigation that I undertook as, you know, a police investigator would uh, to come to a conclusion. And after 30 or 40 people telling me the same thing, as far as a particular lifetime that came to them when they were tuning in, if you might say to me, um, you get to the point where you finally kind of got to throw up your hands and go, okay, it must be true. Uh, because it was really difficult. Um, you know, and I don't know that I'm going to say what that lifetime was. Um, I will say that most in the Judeo-Christian world would understand that lifetime. They would know of it. And um, I would say that that's about as much as I really need to say, because beyond that, I don't know that it makes any sense to say it because, um, a lot of people have had some really amazing lifetimes. I mean, somebody has had to bend all these historical characters. And if you follow the reincarnation path, um, then we are our own ancestors. And so we are who laid down the history before this lifetime. So we've left clues for ourselves. Uh, we've been all these different characters. Um, according to those concepts, we've been male, female. We've been black, white red, yellow, brown. And I think if people understood that, given today's society, that they had been all this different things in the past, they might treat people a little bit better than what we're seeing currently. Absolutely. And I'm glad you shared it that way because the whole purpose of this podcast is to blend the metaphysical with the science. In yeah. describing how you traced back what people told you, you just didn't take it at face value, but actually oh. led through an investigative process that took years to reach the conclusion. Yeah, I don't think I even said anything to anybody for at least three years. And that was with me going place after place, different states, talking to different people. But they would even say to me, oh, my gosh, I know what you are, who you are. And, you know, whatever you whatever I'm doing, and these would be people who are very busy people and with credentials a mile long and nobody ever charged me anything. It's just like, uh, man, if you come here, I'll just stop what I'm doing and work exclusively with you. And I'm like... Wow. Okay. So how many of those do you have to get before you finally go, 
and I wasn't telling them anything other than my first name was Terry. Can you tell me anything about past lives? And uh, so I went down that road and, uh, you know, I, I just said to the, to God one night, I said, if this is true, you're really going to have to give me this a lot probably for my whole life because, you know, I'm a hard-headed Dutchman and I'm probably not going to believe it. And so, so far that's continued to happen over and over again. And then I learned to do some healing because, you know, I've got all those uh, credential checkoffs that everybody wants, you know, the, the EFT, the Reiki master, you know, the tuning fork guy, you know, and then all the various clairs, the clairvoyance and clairsentience and, you know, uh, claircognizance. I do all of those things. Um, and I'm also a remote viewer. Uh, I do those as well. Uh, Cause I remember one <laughs> time in particular, um, I had a uh, doctor, uh, she was a doctor of uh, geology and music. I call her a rock music professor, but uh, I was talking with her on the phone and I said, hey, that's a, that's a beautiful piano there you've got. And she says, what? I said, the piano in there. I said, it's really, really dark brown. It looks black, and, and, but it's really, really, really dark brown. And she goes, oh, my God. She goes, is that a stand-up piano or a baby grand? And I said, it's a baby grand. And she goes, it is a baby grand. And it is really, 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 really dark chocolate. But in certain light, you know, it looks black. And I said, yeah, that's it. And I said, but you got those pretty windows all through that area. I said, it brings in the light. I said, you got to love that. She's like, why? Well, yeah, yeah. And I said, but why do you have so many pillows in there? And she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, and there was dead silence. And uh, I said, no, I'm not going to look in your bathroom. She goes, you can read my mind. <laughs> she goes, what are you going to do with a skill like that? I said, no, I don't know. Whatever I want, I guess. And uh, you know, later on, I had another a friend uh, uh, that was uh, in, a, in a city, you know, some 250 miles away from me and uh, was talking uh, with her. And uh, I, I said, hey, why am I seeing one of these little um, fuzzy head troll dolls, you know, like you see, you got the purple hair coming out, that kind of thing. She goes, oh my God, I'm sitting in my car. It's hanging from my rear view mirror. She goes, what else do you see? And I said, well, I see, um, I think it's a blue or green ribbon that's right there. And she goes, what else do you see? And she said, I said, well, it looks like a, like a little, um, maybe a mermaid type doll, red hair. I can't tell if it's a fairy or a mermaid, but I think it's a mermaid. And she goes, well, what else do you see? I said, well, the last thing is natural, like made of wood uh, is what it is. And she goes, oh my God. She goes, where's it from? I said, like, I don't know, Norway or something like that. And she goes, oh my God, I got to take a picture of this and send it to you. You ain't got to believe this. And so she sent me a picture and sure enough, hanging from that rear view mirror was a little troll doll, a little green ribbon, a little aerial mermaid, little trinket with the red hair, and then a pair of uh, wooden shoes that her mother had got her when she was like in Europe, Norway, Dutch land, or whatever, someplace over there, Holland. Uh, I don't know. And anyway, she was just like, that's a completely different woman. She's like, holy cow, what are you going to do with that? I don't know, whatever I want, I guess. So that's just, I mean, that's just a little touch of many, many unusual things. So I would tell the listeners, if you ever call Terry, don't do it while you're in the bathroom. <laughs> I try not to peek. <laughs> mm. 
but that's a you know that whole remote viewing though is something that they've done in the military for years and you know i'm sure cia still does it right quite sure of that uh and it's it's you know where the russians uh, used to you know look at us we'd look at them and uh, you know even things such as north korea if you can't see it with a satellite or get it from intel on the ground i mean uh you know the, the program that was out there i think it was stargate or something like that uh where they would teach people to to remote view uh, you know be on the east coast and then re- remote view a room on the west coast and i think you had to be like about 85 percent accurate before they could even use you and you would just simply sketch that all out on a board and then explain it as you go um i saw it done once on a on tv and uh pretty interesting where they could tell where the light switches are at and where kitchen was you know different different things like that so it's pretty interesting the skill what do you think the best use of this skill has been for you so far for me um i think to tune into a location uh to see what's around a person so if i'm going to do that because a lot of times i'll get called for things that are kind of more um dark i'll call it that you know because you know you minister and you kind of do the spiritual thing um i love the science part of it and i use that a lot believe me because uh, i don't really get too scared like the exorcist movie or something like that but if i can tune into a, a location take a look around you know see what their layout is that's been helpful for me and then also can tune in to see uh, somebody or something face to face but it's like a projection of your consciousness and it sounds really weird, but if you've done it long enough, like anything else in life, it's pretty routine. You don't think anything of it. Uh, and I know that, uh, you know, you and I have interacted on that kind of an occasion from time to time and, uh, it's always something fun, but, uh, I just want people to realize this is not all scary stuff and, and we can really help a lot of people that way. Right. For the listeners, this is actually based in quantum physics in the realm of possibilities and collapse and such. So that's a whole avenue for a different day because we could spend days alone on just that topic. But it's the new science that's emerged. And um, that's really where the future is in terms of understanding all this and making the bridge, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, even with those folks, you know, being able to do uh, what people call distance healing on somebody, somebody has an injury or an illness or something. And if you can project your energy there, which we know we can do that because you're, everybody is connected in this web of life. We're all one as they talk about. So I think one of the easy things to, um, to do is, well, of course, I'll just run to an example where they took uh, some human tissue uh, or and tissue from anything. It doesn't really matter. And you put a little Petri dish in New York and put another one all the way over in LA and you stimulate the one electrically in New York. And at the exact same time, the one in LA is also vibrating and stimulating at the same time. So what the hell is that? You know, that means they're connected. There's no other alternative to that and likewise with the uh, Japanese professor who you know started talking badly to um, uh, water molecules and they turned ugly and then when he started talking love to them they turned pretty you know and uh, so it that's a projection of your energy your thought pattern into something else other than yourself and uh, that's really you know when you start talking what Jesus did I mean holy cow, this gets right into that, you know, and people trying to figure out how did he actually do the healings he did. I think we're on the precipice of really understanding that. I think it comes down to almost a a photonic transference of intellectual understanding, uh, almost a 
an intelligence, if you will, uh, that will come from one with a high vibration to somebody with a low vibration, which may have a, an illness or injury, which are always going to be a lower vibration. And so if you interplay the high vibration on top of a low vibration, it dissipates the low and a healing takes place. So I think you're going to find that's pretty much how it's going to be, how it's going to come out. Uh, and everything looks like a miracle until you understand the science behind it. Right. And, and Jesus did say, you know, what I do, you shall do in greater. Well, I believe him. And I think we're moving into that phase where humankind, if they've applied themselves, and I'm not talking about all the folks running around shattering windows right now and, you know, setting places on fire. That's pretty low vibration in my book. Uh, but people who have really um, learned to tap into things bigger than just the physicality of life, uh, to get into the mental and, and then the spiritual, those are where the high vibration things happen. And that's where you get those, what we might call miracles, wonders, and so forth. You just mentioned that Jesus said at some point, we'll all be able to do this. And in rel relation to that, most people are recognizing the time seems to be going faster. Mm -hmm. So why do you think right now, this is starting to become more the norm and people are becoming more aware of this dynamic? Well, I, I, I think there's a lot of kids being born into the world right now. Um, they have a name for them. I don't know who makes these names up, but I'll just repeat them for practical purposes, I suppose. But they call them indigo children, uh, kids that are coming into the world with and uh, more uh, psychic abilities, more healing abilities. Um, uh, and their intuitiveness is very broad. And some of them are a little bit challenged because you're still in a world full of people that don't understand. And so I would say to the parents, if you are running across this in your child, uh, don't be scared about it. Just reach out to somebody who can assist you in assessing what to do. And I know Tom and I, we, we end up in circles uh, of people. We have staff people, uh, friends of ours that help us do that in a very effective way. And they're all clinicians of some sort or another, therapists and nurses and whatnot. And uh, so uh, very, very seasoned people. And you can get a real sense of what your child is is in our opinion, and then you can get some do's and don'ts. But a lot of kids are being born in the world. They got other names for them, rainbow kids and crystal kids. I don't know. They come up with all, I don't know who makes, like I say, I don't know who makes them up. It doesn't really matter. I'm just saying really intuitive folks are happening. And, and you know, biblically it talks about, you know, in the end times, and I don't think it's really the ends, it's just the beginning of the next session, if you will, um, where the old men will dream dreams and your sons and daughters will have visions. That's the time where they're talking about, where people are getting more intuitive. And even in the ancient times, in the, uh, let's say, Old Testament times, which really isn't that ancient compared to the world, it's just we think of it that way sometimes. Those folks that were prophets, the, the, you know, those were kids that got identified typically by what we were rabbis, that they have an intuitive ability as their parents probably noticed it and they ended up uh, sending them to school. Um, maybe started with a local rabbi, but there was actually schools for people to become prophets, if you will. Mystery school, some of them called it, but they would learn how to really connect with, uh, you know, the higher powers, the other side. And uh, that's how we got some of that scripture. So talking about kids identifying these skills early on, do you recall when you first noted that you had some of these abilities and how you developed them going forward? You know, I've thought about that a lot. And I, I, I started studying, of course, I study all the 12 religions and so forth because I have to. And uh, 
also some of the meditation techniques and so forth, especially the Eastern culture. And I noted that some of the ways that um, the Hindus uh, actually do their meditation, when I was a little kid, I was doing that. The exact same thing, the placement of your fingers, the placement of your tongue, the position you're sitting in, uh, and, you know, in a, in a dimmed or darkened place or typically, but a very calm place anyway. Uh, and I was doing the very same thing. Uh, my dreams, I could do lucid dreaming. I still do lucid dream, but I can remember a dreams from when I was a little kid. And I can kick them back in. And if I want to see them again, I can just replay it like an old movie. Um, and so that's kind of fun. I do dream interpretation and, and that sort of thing as well. And that's a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, I would say going looking backwards, I must have been in single digits uh, when I was doing that. And, you know, my mom would say, hey, get your ass out of there and go out and play, you know, and that's kind of stuff back when they kicked you out and made you eat at least a teaspoon of dirt a year. So you could have your immune system and be effectively uh, immune from COVID. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. So yeah, I did that. Uh, but I never thought of it that way at the time. So when did you realize that you were, I'll put it different than most uh, kids? You know, my mom always said I was a sensitive. Mm-hmm. I was a sensitive and uh, I know my kids uh, went over there the other day and they were talking to my mom said they want dirt on dad you know every kid wants a little dirt on their parents and and they said hey you know what tell us something bad he did you know like this and she's like man I she goes, he didn't really do anything bad he was kind of like an angel and they're like no no <laughs> he surely did something bad and they couldn't get any dirt on me and uh, to this day, I think they hate me for that. But uh, anyway, uh, but even my my son and daughter both had uh, experiences and they've, you know, a lot of this goes down uh, the genetic line. And uh, uh, for me, uh, I was adopted as an infant. So I did not know my uh, biological background until I was over 50. And then come to find out that, yeah, sure enough, on the biological side, both, both parents I had uh, a lot of go-go juice, <laughs> so to speak, uh, coming from both sides. And I think that, uh, and, and likewise, my kids do too. My son is just an absolute superb astro traveler. And for people who don't know what that means, there's, you know, like seven energetic bodies around your body is what they've believed over in the ancient uh, Eastern uh, philosophies. But scientifically, we've also uh, found that out as well. And he can project his astral body uh, like nobody's business. And he can go not only on this uh, earth plane that we're on, but he can go to the higher planes and he can also go into the lower planes where people might call that purgatory or hell or whatever, or heaven on the other side. But you're literally coming out of body. Your astral body is coming away. You're asleep typically or in a very relaxed state and you can, just one body kind of comes out of the other and then goes and does whatever at the speed of thought, if you know how to do it. And uh, there's tons of people that do that. And people do it oftentimes at night when they're sleeping, they don't even know it. Yeah. It's a hot concept for some people to grasp yet there at this point, there are some photos out there for when people pass where they've actually caught the spiritual body, leaving the physical body. Yeah. Dr. Klinghart, uh, uh, he's out in the Seattle area, I believe. He he did a great study on light, and they had a guy who, uh, you know, voluntarily, uh, he ended up uh, inside a cage area for light. They were testing light, and they were showing his light on the graph, and then right when he died, because he, he was going to die, um, all of a sudden, poof, 
the light instantly was gone. Well, figure that out. What was that that left? Right. Because then the body's still there. So that was what most people would call the soul, your, your true self. And where are you headed to? Home. That's where you're headed. Um, occasionally, not home. Because uh, I always say there's two different kinds of dead folks. Probably actually three, but two basic ones. When people pass, um, probably, I'm going to guess around 80% go through the light. And then there's probably 20%, maybe a little less, that hang around. And they have something they feel like they really need to do. And, or some communication that has to happen. Some unfulfilled reason they need to stay. And those are things they end up going bump in the night, uh, what we would call ghosts. And certainly I get called to those quite often. And if you learn how to do that, you can tune in to those ghosts or entities, if you wish, and you can have communication with them. And, uh, you know, and some people can tune in easier than others. Uh, some people feel them, see them. Some people hear them. Uh, it just depends on the individual. And sometimes it depends on that person too, uh, where they, maybe they're not tuning into me, but maybe they'll tune into the person standing next to me. Cause it's, it's almost like getting two radios and they've got the two dials, like the old radio systems. And you'd have to dial it this way to get the thing to tune in. Right. And then dial it this way to make sure they're making that connection. And sometimes you're just in the mood for it. Sometimes you're not. Um, people who are intuitives, as what they call it, our empaths, sometimes they have a real hard time controlling that too, uh, in the sense they're on all the time. And so they're constantly calling me going, hey, how do I control this? I'm hearing all this stuff and I'm seeing all this stuff and I don't want to see all that all the time. And that in and of itself is a real challenge for many of them to try to get that under control. And I tell them, you know, you set your own hours. You're like the doctor. So I'm only going to look at you, you know, on Wednesday night at seven to nine and that's it. And then I'm going to bed and get the hell out of here. You got to be the captain of your own ship and you really have to be large and in charge and not get shoved around just like you would in any other social setting. You don't get shoved around at the, at the local cocktail party. You, hold your ground, tell them what you believe and what you're going to do. And that's, and it sounds so silly. I mean, I get it. It sounds stupid. Like you're talking to dead people, but uh, you know, it is what it is. And I, and there's enough, I think evidence now uh, that, that we know that this is true. And uh, you know, even from the religious point of view, they, they used to talk about demons and so forth and they still do. Uh, I think the Pope authorized a couple of years ago, another 400 exorcists uh, to be trained because there was such a, an uptick in that sort of thing. So yeah, it's out there. If the church believes it, why wouldn't you, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you described roughly the 20% in the vast majority of them are people that are either a little bit lost or feel like they have unfinished business here that they need to take care of, maybe protecting somebody or such. And that's the majority. But occasionally there's the what would be deemed the more demonic or negative entities. Yeah. And I know you've had plenty of experiences and stories around that. Um, would you like to share a little bit about that type of work with folks? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on, and, and uh, I really, I've never really had a problem with removal. I just walk in and do what I do and get the hell out of there. I don't spend all kinds of time videotaping and, and uh, you know, doing that stuff you see on TV. It's Some of that's a little demeaning to those that are past. They keep them around just for television or tours or, you know, to make it 
some kind of fun land. I, I don't think that's the right thing to do. That's just from a pure human perspective, you know, if somebody's in the wrong place, you got to direct them into the right place. And uh, oftentimes it's as simple as telling them to look up and see the their light and then think to go there. And then, then they go in many cases. Uh, on occasion, you'll find somebody who doesn't want to go there. And the difference between somebody who's what we would call demonic and somebody who's just maybe just a mean old son of a bitch, you know, that's dead and wants to screw with you is, is different because uh, the demons tend to know things about you where the dead folks, if they were stupid when they were alive, they're still stupid. <laughs> if they were smart, they're still smart. You know, um, they don't get any really en any enlightenment until they actually go through the light. Uh, but the demons are a different breed. They're a different kind of thing um, that, uh, it's just really low vibration on very low vibration and that they have access to information. Uh, and some people will say there's no really demons. It's just people that are really, really separated from God. And uh, because in the concept of everything being one, meaning uh, one life, which is there's only one life in the universe, which is the creators. And we're all just thought projections uh, or little bits and pieces of the creator, uh, then that makes sense. If they believe in separateness, which demons typically do, uh, they'll think they're their own thing. And sometimes they'll say, well, I was, I was created by Lucifer. Okay, well, that's a misnomer too, because Lucifer wasn't really, I mean, even in the biblical sense, Lucifer's actually talking about Venus, the planet, because uh, they had to put something in there uh, because people would say, well, if God is good, why does all this nasty stuff happen? Because you do it <laughs> to each other and yourself. That's why it happens. Um, and it's part of that uh, karmic wheel, if you will, of reincarnation. Uh, and then they go, well, how do you get off of that? Well, you use grace. So, you know, like Jesus used the term, you know, if they crack you in the cheek, turn the other cheek, get cracked here. So I would say cracking here is, you know, settling karma, letting them hit you on the other side's grace. And the law of grace is above the law of karma. So you release them and you from that particular karma is, is how that goes. You know, we could go into tons of detail because I, you know, I teach a lot of classes and I teach a lot of things on more metaphysical uh, interpretations uh, biblical texts and, and other religious texts uh, in a way that people go, oh, no, that makes sense. How come nobody ever told me that? Well, one, they're either scared to tell you because they'll lose their job or two, they've never heard of it. And so it's pretty, pretty in-depth. I mean, even in the Vedas, you can get virtually word for word um, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, printed, what, 2,000 years beforehand, you know. So do you have an example of a case you worked on maybe with a clearing? Um, I know one that you told me about a while back, the wiener dog. I don't know if you want to share that story or if there's a different story that maybe could highlight what you're describing here. Yeah. I mean, the, the wiener dog, that's kind of funny. Uh, yeah. We, a lady who was um, psychic, uh, she woke up at like, you know, three in the morning, typical witching hour, if you will, got a message that uh, they were going to get a package in the mail. She's bumping her husband, you know, in, in bed, said, hey, write this down, write this down. It's like, you know, living with a psychic, you know, <laughs> it's part of one of those deals. Okay. So he writes, well, she goes, we're going to get a package and just disregard. It's got an evil wiener dog in it. <laughs> it's a ceramic wiener dog. Okay. He goes back to sleep like, 
probably said, you know, this woman's crazy, but he'd been around her long enough to know that he better write it down. So he did. Well, a few days later, uh, sure enough, we come a package. He sees it and opens it up and inside there's a, a bubble wrapped wiener dog, ceramic wiener dog. And he goes, oh, screw that's an evil dog. <laughs> so he throws it in the trash. Okay. It goes to, we're off to work or whatever. The kids come home and I think they had a, a 13 year old, maybe a six year old, something like that. A couple kids. But anyway, long story short, um, they end up at the supper table and they're discussing this wiener dog coming in the mail. And the daughter says, Hey, uh, I saw that wiener dog. It wasn't in the trash. It was out in the yard. It was on the grass. He goes, No, 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 no. I, was, I didn't even, un- I knew what it was. I could see through it, threw it away. She goes, No, it was out in the grass when I got off the bus, got home. He goes, What would you do with it? And she goes, What's up in my room? I thought it was cute. Oh my God, go get it. So anyway, she goes up and gets, she goes, dad, better come up here. And what's that? So, uh, goes up there and she goes, what's, he goes, what's the problem? She goes, uh, put it over here by the TV and now it's laying over on my bed. Well, that's a problem. So snatched up the wiener dog, put it back in the box (laughs) and tape it up. The box starts moving down the hallway. Okay. They got, uh, a little bit of poltergeist activity, you know, some uh, spoons, knives, that kind of thing starts getting tossed about the room, that kind of thing. And he's like, oh, this is just is nuts. So we got to figure out what to do. So he grabs it up and takes it out to his shed and locks it up. And there's no windows to the shed. Just he's got the only key, locks it in there. And so we'll, we'll deal with this tomorrow or something. And he comes back the next day and the, the thing's gone. You know, it's, it's the winter dog's gone and the door's still locked and, they find the winter dog in the house, of course, and uh, I don't know what the hell. So he grabs the thing back up and he pours salt all over it, puts it down in a cooler and locks the cooler down, puts a weight on it and trying to figure out what to do. Same thing happens again. Find the, find the dog. Then he says, you better call somebody. So somehow or another, they got my name. I don't know how. And um, so I, I started to quiz him over what was going on there. And this was a um, actual, it was a sexual demon. I don't think I ever told him that because I didn't want to scare him, but it was a sexual demon. And uh, all you had to do was look at the clues, let alone its actions, but a wiener dog, um, you know, and you know, what do they call guys that, you know, run around after girls, dogs, right? And, uh, and also uh, a wiener dog, you know, that in and of itself, plus the fact that it went from TV to bed and she was pre-pubescent or right at the starting of uh, puberty, which is very common. You see that all the time in these kinds of cases. And so uh, by this time, the, the dad had taken this thing and uh, put it back in the cooler and had, he drilled holes in the cooler and put a, a latch on there and a lock and all that kind of stuff, locked it back up. And uh, so while we were talking, he, I guess he went out and checked and it was gone. They never did find it. And, and he said, uh, would this have anything to do with us calling you? I said, yeah, probably does because you kind of get a bit of a reputation on the other side. And so I said, if it ever comes back, you know, there's a whole process we have to go through to get, you know, to put it to rest. Never has come back. It's been a couple of years, at least it's never come back, but, um, I just had one the other day where they were, a uh, paranormal group was uh, run around um, after a demon. They were seeing it in a house and they got pinned in a bathroom and uh, they had me on the phone and that happens a lot too. And uh, they were yelling at it, doing their thing and whatever. So I said, 
would you like for me to talk now? And so I, I talked and I just basically gave it a, asked some basic questions. Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. Didn't give me the answers that I wanted, which I didn't expect it to. And I gave it just a countdown. And when I did a 10, 10 to a one countdown, got to one, poof, it just dissipated, gone. And it hasn't been back since. So uh, I, I really, it's not difficult for me to do those. I, for whatever reason, whatever gift you want to say it is, it's just really not been difficult. I, I know what I am, who I am. I know my spiritual connection. And I think that's huge. If you're going to get into this, don't get into it. If you don't really understand who you are, what you are, and, and so forth, or you're going to get in over your head and you're going to have, you could get hurt. I mean, you could physically get hurt. I think that's great advice. People need to know their limits. You know, you hear about people experimenting back in the days of us being teenagers, the Ouija board was a big thing. And that's a a big no, no. A lot of teenagers get themselves in big, big trouble with that. Um, But what I found lately here is because I, you know, I get a lot of people from overseas and stuff that end up somehow with my number. I don't know how this works. God works in mysterious ways, but they'll end up with my number. And I have found uh, people that are thinking they have, uh, an entity, but I run through a very quick process figuring that out. I think if you were sitting in a standard psychotherapist scenario, you'd probably have to be in there three, four sessions before they'd come to this conclusion, but I do it very, very quickly because I don't have time. I just, I'm so busy. I don't have time. And so, uh, I'm seeing people with, uh, kind of a split personality disorders, you know, the whole multiple Sybil, uh, type stuff typically would just too, uh, but they create kind of an alter ego and it usually comes from a really stressful time in a recent past and they uh, utilize this alter ego to um, deal with some issues that they haven't dealt with internally themselves and they think they've got a demon but once I start running through uh, my evaluatory process you find out pretty quick that's that's not the case at all. And I think that's important for people to understand. We've talked about clinicians and giving them some insights, how it could possibly be an energetic metaphysical issue. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, they're trained to look for the mental health, but it can move both ways. You could start off in the metaphysical and come back to the mental health. I have no problem referring them to the proper mental health professionals. And a lot of times before I even talk to them, I'll ask them if they've been evaluated by a neurologist, a psychologist, a, psych- a psychiatrist, um, you know, what, you know, prescription medications they may be on because I'm working the spiritual side of this thing. You know, the, the medical treatment side is, is for somebody else to do. And um, I hope that they would do the same courtesy uh, if it's outside their scope. I hope they have a broad enough scope to go, you know what? I may have a friend that needs to probably talk to you and see if we can figure something else out, an alternative method. And that's one again, once, once again, one of those bridges uh, between the two professions that uh, really needs to be explored. But they really have to have somebody they trust, somebody who's not a goofball, uh, because there are, like in any job, there's going to be those goofy people that uh, – really don't have a sense of uh, what they're supposed to be doing. They're not well-trained. I mean, they don't have doctorates or anything in that area and uh, really limited experience. Cause I've seen people with, you know, less than a year's experience trying to go out and do demon removals and stuff. And they really, really just don't have the background to be doing that. It's, it's dangerous for all parties involved. So it sounds like we're definitely on the same page. We talk about team treatment. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. You know, and I do a thing also called, because uh, I'm a master hypnotherapist as well. 
anti-regressionist and among many other things, but uh, I developed a thing called uh, tactical imaging. And I know you're familiar with that. I think we put you in through school on that. And tactical imaging is a, a methodology of a light, kind of a light hypnosis state in a way, a focused state, I might say. And I ask a ton of rapid fire questions during that period in a certain way uh, to try to elicit from a what they think the problem is we boom, 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 we hone it down very very quickly to what it really is and it usually comes back to something as simple as um they don't think they're loved and they build all these things up and they've uh, hooked on to falsehoods that happened when they were really little typically single digit and it was given to them this this false doctrine if you will that they've latched onto given to them by what I always call demigods, which is your mother, father, preacher, teacher, you know, that kind of stuff. Anybody who's in perceived authority over you when you're a little one. And they've said something that you took as a truth and it really wasn't. And your whole life can be wrapped around that falsehood. And as soon as we break that and they understand it for what it was, life changes immensely. And it's, it's a very effective tool uh, to do it. And, you know, I use, you know, the EFT along with it in some cases and, but it's kind of my, my version of it, which is, you know, more probably like your version. <laughs> it's quick and to the point and we're done in, in, out and done. I don't have time to mess around for days on ends. I just don't. Uh, and uh, not that I'm opposed to coming back and talking to people, but they usually want reference on how they can, understand this field better because they get pretty excited about it. If they've had a very successful situation, like what, what you do or what I do, and they go, man, how can I learn about this? I think this is something I really want to know about. Um, and one of the books I typically, and I, I'm not really good book recommender because I don't like to get recommended to. I like to find them myself. But if I read a hundred, I might recommend one, maybe two out of a hundred. That's, I'm pretty particular about it. Uh, but one of them I do recommend oftentimes is The uh, Journey of Souls by Dr. Michael Newton. I think that's an excellent starter book uh, for people who are interested in the metaphysical field and just want to get started. Uh, another book I like a lot is called The Veil. It's a short book. I call it a two-evening book, maybe three for some people. Uh, and Blake Healy, uh, he's a minister. Uh, I think last I knew he was out of Georgia. And he'd been able to see angels and demons since he was like three years old. And he takes the scary out of it uh, and it kind of empowers you, you know, and he said one thing, and this is, this is how I would say people need to understand how you see things in, in beyond the veil. And he said it, I think the best that I've ever heard. He said, it's like when you're in a car and you're driving and you're looking through the windshield out at the road, he goes, rather than look out past the windshield into the road, you want to stop short and look at the windshield. Mm -hmm. Make your focus something a lot closer right there and rather than looking through it. And I think that's the best way I can explain to somebody if you ever take the, don't do it when you're driving. <laughs> but, you know, if you're sitting in the driveway, you understand the concept of what, he, what he's talking about. And that's really how people do that. They're able to kind of shift their consciousness and their focus to something that's not seen and so some people have the ability to see that with their actual physical eyes. Other people have to use the third eye uh, to do it. But nonetheless, whichever way you get it or both, uh, it's still an effective tool uh, to help you see what's going on. I do remember talking to one guy who was uh, very uh, good at this, uh, but he never told anybody. 
but he would walk through hospitals and he could see like demons on somebody's shoulder and they would look at him knowing he could see them and they would laugh and then they'd poke somebody in the ear and the person's doing this number this kind of stuff and you know he just finally just said i just gotta get away from that because you know but it was a legit thing i mean this guy's an elected official he knows his stuff and and i do get called for a lot of really unusual things from people that are you know, totally legit. You know, even today I was called to um, check on a, a home from a, an official uh, who wanted it scanned uh, to see if there was anything bad in that home uh, before a purchase was made. And if so, can we clear it out? And that happens kind of quietly behind the scenes, as you can imagine. You wouldn't want your average Century 21 realtor or, you know, whatever, uh, making that known. Uh, but, you know, ask realtors that have been around a haunted house. It's damn hard to sell. And people get in there and they just feel creepy. And, and until that's cleared, nobody's going to want it. Or if they do get it and then they find out afterwards, then they're pissed off at the realtor for not and in some states it's in the law if somebody's died there they think it's ghostly you have to disclose that absolutely and i don't know what it is in massachusetts i mean you do have salem there so you would think it would be in massachusetts of all states but uh you know nonetheless that's kind of the kind of the deal I'm just thinking i want to create the tv commercial that goes with this this would be a lot of fun yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So anyway, that's that's a little bit of of my life. I mean, it's it goes on and on, uh, and so that's why I get called to talk about a lot of these things, and we can go into any kind of topic for hours on end if necessary. So we've covered a lot in this session. If we get said for the next thirty seconds, what did we miss? How do I summarize, Terry? <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish I knew. This crazy son of a bitch who does all these crazy things, but is actually, you know, just a Packer fan who'd rather have a beer and eat some potato chips and watch the game. Uh, so um, I don't know. You know, I, I just, uh, it's not what I plan to do in my retirement from, from law enforcement. Uh, coming from that background of, you know, crossing T's, dotting the I's, making sure everything's just so-so, uh, being on the stand, you know, having to swear to the truth and nothing but the truth over and over and over. I know what the truth is, and I've never had a mental problem. I've never had any of those issues. This is all stuff that uh, I have flushed through uh, to my satisfaction that it's real and that more study needs to be done in all these areas. But I think we're really starting to open up the world uh, with science, honestly, uh, this world of spiritualism in one form or another that I'm very well versed in bringing that forward and then applying science to it. That's just absolutely fascinating to me. And uh, I find it as intriguing as the next person. So when we have these guests that come on here, I'm, I'm learning just like everybody else. And I love to hear their stories. And, uh, you know, when we get called to talk, people ask us, you know, what have you, what have you seen on the podcast? That's really cool. I mean, you've had some, you know, off camera interviews. Well, hell yeah, we've had off camera interviews. Uh, we've talked to these people. We oftentimes know these people really well. We know their stories because they're very interesting. They're authentic people that um, bring a, uh, an element of, uh, you know, realness to this thing in a sense that, uh, you know, it's not a TV celebrity. It's somebody who does this, either as they're living or uh, it's a 
quite a hobby uh, to have, but, uh, or it's something they've just done since they were children and they're willing to share. And I think a lot of people have done these things, but are not willing to share because they don't want to get, you know, it's like the guy who sees the UFO. Well, enough people have seen UFOs now. Uh, they're a little more likely to say, yeah, yeah, I saw a UFO. And, uh, but in the, in the early days, you know, after the Roswell type scenario, nobody wanted to say anything because you were a complete loon if you did. And even today with all that's out there, um, you know, some people are reluctant to say anything. They just don't want to put themselves in that place. Uh, their employer might not like it. Uh, their family might not like it. Their religious background might not allow for it. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons. But where do you go when you've had one of these events? And I remember teaching a group of uh, 60, 70, 80 year olds one time and uh, everybody in the class had had this and had an event. They all raised their hand. And I remember one lady, you know, had this event when she was like 16, I believe it was, where she had seen uh a grandparent that was that came back and was standing right there she had a conversation with them and the whole bit and i said so have you never told the story before to anybody no she goes where was i going to tell it if i told it at church i was a devil worshiper i told it to my mom and dad they'd think i was nuts if i told it to my employer they'd fire me so i just get my mouth shut i've never had a forum to actually come and say hey i saw this stuff well I hope that this podcast is legitimate enough that we can all have a broad enough mind to go, you know what, These, this is a report from their experiences and the way they see it, the way they felt it, the way they heard it, and we can take it from there, you know, if this person's legit or not legit. And that's what this is all about. It's how we grow as a as a society and as individuals. Just take all this data in and figure it out for yourself. If it works, great. If it doesn't, move on. Go watch the Packers with me. <laughs> For somebody who's there who's a, who's a Patriots fan, I mean, I, that's just out of this world. <laughs> and the legitimacy is so huge. I mean, that's what we based our whole careers on was reputation, legitimacy. Yeah. And so to walk into this world, um, we're vetting people as we go along, the guests we bring on board, because this is our reputation as well as the information yeah. of sharing. None of us want to be made fun of for being idiots and being easily fooled. And we're not easily fooled. Neither one of us, we've both been out there and, uh, you know, we've been told all kinds of horse crap through the 30 years of doing it. And you can pretty well cipher out the, the right from the wrong, the, the, the stuff that's not correct and, and go from there. We've had to, because otherwise you, you, you would not be, uh, considered successful in, in the field. You'd have been fired from a long, long time ago if you were doing crazy stuff because you got sergeants looking out after you, you got lieutenants looking after you, you got captains looking after you, you got chiefs or sheriffs or directors. I mean, you got so many people looking at you and everything you do is on computer. It's all on camera. And so, yeah. So no, you got to go legit from the get go. And then um, when you're retired, Hey, you got a little free time and you can uh, say, well, here's some of the weird stuff I had. And, and that's what we're doing, applying what we've learned and uh, reaching out to other people who've had weird experiences or, you know, maybe it's just new scientific breakthroughs that people are unaware of. Right. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your story in the way you have today. Hopefully it was enlightening for our listeners. I think it's some great insights, a very vast background of experiences. Many people have a single or, you know, a few, but you have a whole bucket load to put it nicely. <laughs> and a variety thereof. 
So there's a lot to be learned from you and from this podcast. So we really want to thank our listeners for being here for us. There's going to be a lot more coming down the road. If you have any questions, thoughts, anybody you'd like to see or hear from, the email is tmm at gmail.com and the metaphysicalmysteries.com will be the website. So please feel free to visit those. Leave us a comment. Hopefully you're liking what you're hearing, what you're seeing. We just want to keep improving this and give you the best product we can, sharing some information, sharing some experiences, and normalizing what's been out there for a long time and letting people know, no, it's okay. You have a place you can come and talk about it. Terry, thoughts, final thoughts? I would just say for those that are coming, I mean, we've got some some doctors, some MDs coming up. Uh, One of them is going to be doing some biofeedback. Tom's in that realm. And, uh, you know, what would have been considered kind of woo-woo back in the day, it's pretty typical now. And he's got some pretty advanced biofeedback for people who need to get some additional assistance. So we're going to focus on that. Uh, and he, he's out of the Orlando, Florida area. So we get him from all over. So, uh, you know, somebody let us know and we would be happy to tap into whatever they've got. Great. Well, thank you again, folks. We will see you at the next podcast. See you next time, folks.